Welcome to the Parkway Fellowship Podcast. We hope that God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Gary Chevalier. Well, good morning, everyone. Let me start today by asking you a question. Have you ever been an underdog in an impossible situation? A situation that required God to just show up or you were going to be destroyed, okay? Not like, you know, the Chicago Cubs being down 3-1 to one in the World Series and coming back to win. Not that kind of an impossible situation. I mean, really, one where you were engulfed and the results were beyond your control. And if God literally didn't show up, you were done for. Well, last week, when we're talking about Gideon and talking about how the angry townspeople showed up to, to kill him and how God rescued him, I mentioned that being a part or being in a scary, angry mob was one of the most frightening experiences I've ever had. But I didn't tell you what that story was, and some of you are kind of curious. So today I want to tell you about my impossible situation that God showed up and rescued me from involving that angry mom. So see, back in 2008, I went on a mission trip to Honduras. We had a great week just serving the Lord, doing great things. And we were on our way back to the airport in San Pedro Sula, and our bus pulled over to the side of the road and stopped in a long line of buses and 18-wheelers about half a mile or so from the city. We didn't know what was going on. Well, our missionary that we had been working with was in an SUV, so he drove ahead and discovered that there happened to be a citywide strike of transportation workers that day. And they had put a roadblock on every road in or out of the city and were only allowing cars to pass through. Nothing commercial, no buses, no 18-wheelers. Well, so our missionary did what a good missionary would do. He found the head of the angry mob, talked to him, explained our situation, that we had been in country for a week helping the Honduran people, and we just needed to get back to the airport. And the head of the angry mob said, sure, let him through. So the missionary calls our bus driver, and he's like, hey, the, you know, the head mob guy said it's okay. So we got back on the road, drove up to the, to the roadblock, and then we discovered that the news that the head of the angry mob had said we could pass did not trickle down very well into the angry masses. And in an instant, my life started going a thousand miles an hour and in slow motion all at the same time. Thousands of Honduran men rushed our bus from every side. The bus driver had to stop to keep from running over people and Friends, I'm telling you, it was like a scene from every zombie movie I have ever seen. They were around the bus as deep as you could see, pounding on the bus, yelling. Some of them had sticks and farm tools, and they were beating on the bus. I looked to the back. They were climbing up the ladder on the back of the bus, getting on top of the bus, and pounding on the bus. It was freaky. 
And then in a moment, I turned my head this way and right outside my window, I locked eyes for just a moment with one of the, one of the Honduran men there. And it was a moment when the life just slowed down. And I looked in his eyes and he looked at me. And in that moment, I can describe what I saw only with one word, and it was evil. And that was the moment that I knew that this was a spiritual battle. And God just spoke to me. And I looked at everyone in the bus and I said, we need to be calm. We need to stay seated. And we just need to pray. The noise in the bus was deafening. It was rocking back and forth because they were beating on it and pushing it so hard. There were seven men, 14 women, and two children in our bus. No one cried. No one screamed. No one panicked. We all sat calmly and prayed. After what seemed like forever, the driver of the bus opened his window and started talking to someone outside the bus. And then in front of us, the men parted like the Red Sea and we drove straight on through. The Spirit of God was so thick in that bus because every one of us knew that Jesus was with us and that he had rescued us because there is no way we should have survived that. There's no way we should have come out without a scratch. That rickety old bus, those doors should have broken. And we should have been drug out into the middle of that angry mob. And it didn't happen. God totally rescued us. Now, let me give you the disclaimer at this moment that that's atypical for a mission trip. All right, our, our missions pastor... Kelly Eisenberger is, is planning to take a group to Living Water next year, and we've got student mission trips coming up, and she's like, I can't believe you're going to tell that story. So first off, I want to say, I lived. We all lived to tell about it. But number two, that generally doesn't happen on mission trips. Generally, you're not in any danger. They're well planned. But in our case, that happened that time. But I'm here to tell you, if God is calling you to go on a mission trip, you go. Because you are safer in God's will in a foreign country than you are out of God's will at home or driving down the road. So if God's calling you to go, go. Well, we went, we had that experience, and it was definitely a spiritual marker for me. It was a time when my faith in God, my understanding of who God is, leaped forward. And I would love to tell you that from that moment forward, I've always responded in every crisis with such grace and faith, but I haven't. And I wonder, if placed in that situation again, would I respond that way again? Would I be able to recognize the situation around me for what it is as a spiritual battle and have faith and trust in God that way? What about you? If an impossible situation were to arise in your life, do you think you would respond? with faith and grace? Pull your phone out, if you will, please, and let's tell me. If an impossible situation were to arise today, how sure are you that you would react in a godly manner? Certain? Probably? Maybe? Doubtful? No way? Whatever your answer is, 
text that, number 12345, text that to 22333. Hopefully you followed Pastor Mike's instructions a few moments ago. So text that. Let's see where we are as a group. How certain you are that you would respond in a godly manner. All right. Looking pretty good. 14, 15% of us, around about 14, say absolutely. Most of us are following in the probably and maybe range. And you guys, thank you for your honesty. Huh? Seriously. Hey, if you can't be honest in church, where can you be honest, right? That's totally okay to say, you know what? I'm really not sure that I would. But don't we all wish we were the top one? Don't we all wish we could say, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when an impossible situation arises, I'm going to follow God and I'm going to respond with faith. When the principal calls to schedule yet another meeting, I'll respond in a godly way with faith and grace. Or when the officer shows up to serve you with papers. Or when the doctor sits across the desk and says, it's incurable. We never know when an impossible situation is going to arise. But we all want to be able to respond with faith and grace. So how? How can I ensure I'll respond with godly grace in an impossible situation? And I think the answer to that is going to be found in this week's underdogs. We're talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And their story is in the book of Daniel, chapters 1 through 3. And the first thing that we can do to make sure that we respond with godly grace in an impossible situation is this. Number one, we need to already be living a lifestyle of faith. I need to already be living a lifestyle of faith when that crisis happens. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were three Jewish young men when the Babylonians conquered Israel, they shipped them off to Babylon and put them in training to become part of the government. And when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got there, they had a little bit of a challenge because the food that they were given to eat did not conform to the dietary restrictions God had placed on his people in the Old Testament. So they could have said, well, Israel's conquered. Here we are in Babylon. And as the old saying goes, when in Babylon, do as the Babylonians. They could have said that, but they didn't. They went to their caretaker and said, you know what? We, we can't eat this food because our God says we can't. Just give us vegetables and water. So he did. And at the end of their training period, the Bible tells us they talked with the king and the king found them to be head and shoulders above, better than anyone else, all of his other advisors. Eventually, he placed them in charge of the province of Babylon. And they honored God in their choice, and God honored them. So it sounds like things are going great, right? Well, after that, we don't know how long, but sometime after that, that same king built a golden statue, 90 feet tall. And he proclaimed that everybody everywhere had to worship this statue. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a choice. They could worship the statue or they could say no. Let's see what they did. Daniel chapter 3 verse 8 says, At this time some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews, 
They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Oh, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in case you were curious. I put that last part in. Who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. So these men, who were co-workers of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, more than likely they were direct reports, because remember, the king had set them over the affairs of the province of Babylon. They went straight to the boss to tattle on them. Really is what they did. It sounds childish when we break it down that way, but isn't that what they did? Don't we know people like that? I grew up with those guys. They were annoying, right? Always looking for something to go tattle on you about. That's why I love the Old Testament. They're, it's real, real people. I feel like I was neighbors with some of them. But the only thing they could find against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was that they worship God above the king. They couldn't find any, any crooked business deals. They weren't padding their pockets from the royal coffers. They weren't making any side deals and giving special interest groups. They were rock solid. The only thing that they could hold against them was the fact that they worshiped God over the king. I mean, don't, don't, don't we wish that could be said about all of us? I do. So here's the thing. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that the penalty of not worshiping the statue was death. And not just any death. Death in the fiery furnace. Now, I've spent some time thinking about ways to die. I know it sounds kind of morbid, but I've put some thought into it, and I'm here to tell you that burning to death in a big furnace is high on the list of ways not to die. As a matter of fact, it's one of my top three. And just as a quick PSA, if you ever find yourself being burned at a stake for being a Christian, um, the thing to do is inhale as much smoke as you can so that you will die from smoke inhalation before you will actually die from the flames. <laughs> Listen, the more you know, right? I mean, this, this could come in useful one day. So let's just say it was a big choice to defy the king and say, I'm not going to worship the statue even if you kill me, even if you burn me. It's not like Shadrach, Meshach, didn't, and Abednego, that, it's not like they didn't know that. And it's not like they weren't smart enough that they could pretend to worship the statue, but not really. But fool everyone to think they were following the king's command. They could have done that. But they lived a lifestyle of faith in all of the small choices. From the food to how they conducted business, everything they did was godly. So when the big moment came to defy the king or die, there really wasn't a choice there. It was business as usual. They honored God in all the little choices, so they honored God in the big choice. Some of you in this room make compromises on the little choices along the way. 
don't you? We intentionally will we'll let a little, little sin in our life here and there. Because really, that's what compromise boils down to. It's sin. And we let a little bit in here and there. And we think, oh, it's okay. I got this. It's under control. Or you'll think, you know what? Compromise, that's just called doing business. Or students, you think, you know what? I've got to cheat on the test. Everybody else does. So it's the only way to make it fair. Hey, hey, it's only pictures on a screen. It's not like I'm really doing anything bad. These little compromises, little bits of sin, work their way into your life. And I'm here to tell you, how you live normally in the little choices is how you're going to live in the big choices. Just like in sports, your coach used to tell you, how you practice is how you play. Take Dak Prescott. All right, he's a rookie quarterback in the NFL this year. Back at Mississippi State, he was the backup quarterback until the starting quarterback got a concussion and he had to step into the role. And he did a great job. Earned the starting quarterback position and ended up setting all sorts of school records for Mississippi State. Fast forward, he gets drafted by the NFL and now he's a backup quarterback on the Cowboys. Sounds great. Right up until Tony Romo gets hurt in the preseason. And then this young rookie quarterback is called upon to lead his team with the best of the best in the NFL. And he's done a great job. He really, you may not like the Cowboys, and I totally respect that. But you can't shake a stick at what Dak Prescott has been able to accomplish. And the reason he was able to do it is because step by step, he was making the right choices along the way. See, he could have said, I'm the backup. And he could have fudged on his diet a little bit. He could have not been paying a lot of attention when they were reviewing film, kind of zoned out a little bit, because it really didn't apply to him. I mean, he was behind a veteran like Tony Romo. Why would he think he would get to play? He could have taken it easy at practice. He could have done lots of things. But he didn't. And when the moment came, he was ready to step in and go. The same is true with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their life reflected godly choices. So when the big moment came, they were ready to go. Your life, if you live a life filled with godly choices along the way, when the big moment comes and the impossible situation arrives, you'll be ready to go. The next thing, the next step that you need to do is, number two, I need to understand that God's glory is more important than my desire. Fill that in on your message notes. God's glory is more important than my desire. Now, after the king learned that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, I'm not going to worship the statue, he called him to his presence and said, you're going to bow down and worship the statue or I'm going to throw you into the furnace right now. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego responded in Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hands. 
even at the immediate threat of burning to death, they told the king that following God and honoring God was more important than the king's commands. God's glory was the most important thing for them, even more important than their lives. And make no mistake, their lives were very important to them. They were just like us. They weren't some biblical character that you read about. They were real people. And they have a real survival instinct just like us. And to them, God's glory was more important than their life. So what about you? Can you say that God's glory is more important to you than anything else in your life? Is God's glory more important than your kids? When, when the time to serve God or serve your kids comes up, which one wins the most often? Is God's glory more important than your job? When those two are in conflict, which one usually wins? Is God's glory more important than your political opinion? Is this your guiding stone, your guiding marker for your political opinions? Is God's glory more important than that? Is God's glory more important than beating cancer? Is God's glory more important than fill in the blank? Whatever is important in your life. Is God's glory more important than that? So finally, we need to live a lifestyle that honors God. We need to know that God's glory is greater than our desire. And lastly, we need to trust God for the results. It's your last fill-in. Trust God for the results. In Daniel 3, verse 17, he says, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, and circle that if, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, and underline that, even if he does not, even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. If we are thrown into the furnace. At that point, that was still a question mark for them. At that point, they still believed that God could have rescued them out of that situation. And he could have. He could have whisked them away in a cloud and set them down somewhere else. He could have caused the king's heart to change. He could have quenched the fire in the furnace. He could have given Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego the power and the strength to overcome the guards and to kill Nebuchadnezzar and take over the Babylonian kingdom. They could have set up the kingdom of Babylon to worship God. That's the choice I would have made. If I was God, I'd have done it that way. To have all of Babylon all of a sudden become Focused on Jehovah God? Yes! That's not what God chose to do. He chose to let their hands be bound. And he chose to let them be tossed into the, the fire, into the furnace. And that's the moment he showed up. It wasn't before. It was when they were in the furnace that God came. Look what happens. Daniel 3, verse 24. Then 
King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. See, God can prevent those impossible situations from happening. He totally can. But sometimes he chooses to allow us to be enveloped by the flames. And then he shows up. Whatever accomplishes God's purposes, whatever brings him the most glory, that's what God chooses. And sometimes those decisions don't make sense. Sometimes they're not what we would do. Sometimes we have to be bound and tossed into the flames. And that's when God shows up. Right now, are you in an impossible situation of your own? And you're struggling with giving God the results? You're holding on tightly. Maybe you're, you've got your fingers wrapped around the healing that you're praying for. And you're just saying, God, heal me. Or maybe it's a financial blessing or financial relief that you're holding on to and telling God how much you need it. Maybe it's the person that you want to marry. God, make her love me. Make him the one. I know he's the one. You just have to do it. And you're holding on so tightly and you're not willing to release those results into God's hands. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you haven't released your life into God's hands and you're still holding on to control of your life. And today needs to be the day that you say, take it. I trust you. The bottom of your message notes on the back, there's a sample prayer that you can pray. Basically just says, God, I know I haven't followed you in the past but I want to give you my life and follow you now. In just a few moments, we're going to pray together. And if today, if you're ready to give your life over to Jesus, you've tried holding on, you've tried doing it your way, you've tried being in control, and you've realized that none of that works. I'm here to tell you today that what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew back then, it's still true that God is the only God worth being worshipped. And worshipping him is far better than any other fate. And really, at the end of the day, following God is really the only thing that makes sense in this life. If you're ready to do that today, I'm going to encourage you to pray that prayer in just a moment. Now, most of us will never have to face worshiping God or being thrown in a blazing furnace. Most of us will never be on the other end of the barrel of a gun and have to deny Jesus or die. That still happens in our world today, but generally it doesn't happen here in America. Most of us, our impossible situations will be as different as we are. Perhaps your impossible situation, you're in a separation or you're in a divorce and your spouse isn't playing by the rules. Your ex-spouse is trying to poison your children against you. And you just don't see how 
you can come out okay. Maybe you, maybe you have a child with autism or other special needs, and it's a constant struggle to find the right doctor or the right treatment or the right school. It feels like there's always some challenge beating you down, and you don't think you'll ever have peace or rest. Perhaps, perhaps you've been assaulted or even raped. And every time you close your eyes, you relive that moment over and over again. And you don't think you'll ever be free. Maybe that's what your impossible situations look like. I'm here to tell you, God can and God will rescue you and he will deliver you. But the only way to do that is to live a lifestyle of faith filled with godly choices, to give him glory above all else and to put your life in his hands and trust him for the results. Let me pray for us. Bow your heads, please. Father, I thank you today, God, that you are all-powerful. God, that you have control in every situation, God. And when these impossible things arise in our life, Lord, we simply have to look to you and trust you and give our lives to you, God, and know that you will give us strength and you will support us. And that, God, you will take care of every situation that arrives. God, give us strength to live each day in a way that honors you. God, to place you above all else in our life. God, it's so hard sometimes. I pray for everyone in this room that when they walk through those doors today, God, they can walk through it with a renewed zeal, a renewed commitment, a renewed faith in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more.